Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today is episode 29. Larry is going to share with us 10 ways to pursue a better investment experience. Good afternoon, Larry. How are you? I'm doing terrific, Eric. How are you? Oh, doing fantastic. Excited to hear all 10. Where are we starting? So let's start with number one. And uh, what is, you know, embrace market pricing. So, you know, every day there are billions of dollars of trades between buyers and sellers. You know, there's always that one investor that's looking for some type of advantage or some type of stock that's mispriced out mm-hmm. there. But with all the the trading that goes on electronically over the, you know, over the world, that it really is for every buyer there is a seller and the market is really a efficient and the price is really efficient. So, you know, trying to look for that inefficient or that wrong pricing there is really not going to be, you're not going to be able to find that. So, uh, so, you know, don't really try to pursue misprice stocks really to embrace the, uh, the market pricing across the board. Sounds like a needle in a haystack kind of thing. Absolutely. Got it. All right. What's next? So uh, number two, don't try to outguess the the market. So th- this is one of my, my one of my favorite t- topics that you know talk about that for some reason you know investors and even professionals they really think that they can outguess the the broad the broad market and people actually hire other advisors and other people to try to outguess and do better than the market is. And history has shown that you cannot consistently outperform the markets. You know, here's a great statistics. So over the last 15 years, only 14% of U.S. equity fund managers, those are professional fund managers, beat the benchmarks. And only 13% of fixed income uh, managers outperform their benchmarks. So the professionals are not even able to outperform the benchmarks. So it, I don't know how an individual is going to do that, but, but people continue to try to outperform, continue to try to put money into mutual funds to outperform the benchmarks. And yes, over a short period of time, it can be done. And, it, and there are some funds that have a long-term track record. I'm going to talk about an interesting story in a few minutes. But that's not the, re- the reason you should be hiring your, your advisor is to, is to beat the market and not really to outguess the, the market. You really should be hiring an, an advisor to create your proper asset allocation, to go through your long-term goals and align your investments with your long-term goals, to assess your risk tolerance and making sure your risk is, pro- is proper to the investment strategy that you have up, to make sure that you're minimizing the taxes and planning you know, forward, and a myriad of other reasons to hire a financial advisor not to outperform or to try to outguess the market. 14% is pretty abysmal. <laughs> That's uh, a little staggering. Now, can you explain what the benchmarks really are? 
Oh, yeah, great question, Eric. So if you are investing in, let's say, large cap stocks, there is a benchmark against that. Now, there are different benchmarks. Everyone has heard of the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. So that is a benchmark of the top 500 United States firms in there. So a lot of large cap mutual funds are benchmarked against the S&P 500. And each category has their own benchmark. Small caps have the Russell 2000, Mm -hmm. and you can even go even further, Russell 2000 value. So each one has a benchmark, and that's what the advisors or when you're looking to invest, you can say, okay, how how does your portfolio compare to your benchmarks? Got it, got it. All right, what's number three? Okay, so number three is resist chasing past performance. I mean, this is, you know, another one of these great conversations to have because you get people who look at the Morning Stars. Morning Star, for those that don't know, is a professional organization that just uh, tracks performance of uh, mutual funds as well as stocks. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're looking to invest in a mutual fund, you can look at the performance and how that fund has, you know, has performed in total um, or against, you know, against the benchmarks. And psychologically, people like to invest in winners. So they're going to invest in funds that have made money. Well, that's not really always the best thing best thing to do because you know most of the funds that were in the top 25% of the previous 3 year returns did not maintain that top 25 ranking the following 3 years mm. so this is a study that was done from 2006 and 2017 so if you if you invested in one of these funds that was a top performer for the last 3 years there's a 75% chance they weren't a top performer for the next three years. So, so you know, only 26% of equity funds and 32% of the fixed income funds were able to, you know, to stay in both of those time frames from 2006 to, two, to 2017. Wow. And one of my favorite stories is uh, is a Bill Miller. For those of you that may not have known a Bill, have heard of Bill Miller. Bill Miller is a mutual fund manager, a stock manager, and he ran a fund called the Lake Mason Value Fund. And he was at that point in time in 2006 the only manager that had beaten its benchmark for I believe 15 years in a row. Of course. A ton of money went into these funds. They were touted. They were taking newspaper ads. Bill Miller, take this fund. Look at this. And he was doing unbelievable. Well, guess what happened in 2007, 2008? We all know what happened with the stock market in 2007. What was the leading down the sector that got hit the hardest? Banks. Guess what? Bill Miller was overweighted in 2007, 2008. Banks and financial institutions. Well, his fund underperformed so bad that a few years later, the fund no longer existed. Wow. So here's somebody who outperformed the market for 15 years in a row, and and, and he still couldn't continue to do that and underperformed so bad. 
So uh, again, you know, you know, we talk about you know benchmarks and not really passive funds that we use, but funds. We want funds that are kind of going to do what the benchmarks are going to do and to perform, so, so we know exactly what the asset allocation is done. That's why funds like Vanguard have done so well, and you've seen so much talk about index funds because people have started to wake up and realize that you can't outperform and you can't chase the, you know chase the market so don't you know resist from you know resist doing it and i even take it one step further and you know this is really a hard thing to do but you want to rebalance so you want to when some of these funds and some of these indexes are doing well you want to take some of your profits out and actually go into some not funds that are bad funds but areas that are just out of favor because things go in cycles. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes large cap growth is going to outperform. Other times emerging markets are going to outperform. Two years ago, emerging markets had a great year. So we took some of the profits out of emerging markets and went into other sectors that were not doing that great that year. So that's kind of what you want to do. You don't want to you want to resist chasing past past performance and you want to rebalance when you can. Gotcha. So what is some good advice? What what's our next step then? So again, you know, you know, step four of the 10 ways of a better, you know, a better investment experience Mm -hmm. is let the markets work for you. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, investing in the stock market is really for long is really for long term. It's not for short period of times. And I remember when I get into this business, the only way to really look at performance, you had to wait for the next day's newspaper and look up the you know the stocks or the mutual funds to see how your performance was. This is pre-internet. You you, you couldn't you didn't really know what you were doing and, and what your portfolio was. And then you had to kind of manually put something together or do some type of spreadsheet to see how your your portfolio is doing all together now your portfolio can be updated on the second mm-hmm. so people have gotten you know a way of how and why you invest in the in the stock market and it's for long term it's not for short you know short term you know if you look at long term type returns you know, I guess one of the studies going back to, you know, 1926 is really just showing how a growth of one dollar has done over long periods. And then now this is obviously a very long period of time. But, you know, one dollar, you know, adjusted for inflation compounded monthly would only have grown to fourteen dollars, where if you oh, invested one dollar in the large cap, that would have grown to seven thousand three hundred forty seven dollars. So, It's really kind of shows that the market, you know, can work for you. It can work for you of longer periods of time and not to really look at your portfolio on a daily, weekly or even yearly basis. A year is really not a long term time in the the market. You know, the S&P historically seven out of 10 years, the S&P will be up. Well, what does that mean? That means we need to have, or historically, we're going to have three years when you're down. So mm-hmm. a one-year time frame is really not a long period of time. So what you want to do is you, in the market, you want to think longer term, and you want to let the markets work for you. It, it, the, the instant information can be so positive, but in today's culture, I think it's, it, it can also be an incredible negative, 
right? When you, when you have that instant access to what's going on right this moment, because it can cause that apprehension or panic in, in some investors. Right. And, and it's really gambling. I mean, I mean, uh, so many people watch Kramer uh, and, and take his word for things like, you know, it's gospel. But when it's talking for that short period of time, no one really, you know, no one really, you know, knows. I mean, I mean, I've gotten to the point now with kind of lap it. Lo and behold, every few years, somebody asks me, well, you know, Larry, what do you think the market's going to do in the next few weeks or, the, or this year or the month? And And now my answer is, you know, if I if I really knew that, I wouldn't be in this. I would keep it to myself and make a gazillion dollars. I wouldn't tell anybody. So anybody who thinks that they that they know what's going to happen, they wouldn't because they wouldn't tell you. So no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, you they, know, they, you know, in the market. Yeah, they would have retired years ago if they had that ability. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. What's number five? Okay, so there are there there are some drivers of returns that you could look at, and there is some academic research you know, to identify both equity and fixed income dimensions, which point to differences in expected returns. And there are investors can pursue higher expected returns by some of these, by structuring their portfolios around some of these dimensions. So there's really four of them on the equity side, market, company size, relative price and and profitability. So let me break this down for you. So what is market premium? So market premium, that's the premium, the expected return that you're going to get by investing in stocks for the longer term rather than having your money in bonds and, you know, and cash. So so, so that's, you know, that's one. Two is company size, small versus, you know, large cap. So again, small stocks over long periods of time will outperform long uh, large cap stocks, but I'm, we're talking about years and decades, not over short periods of time. So there is a premium and there is, you know, the, the more smaller cap stocks, the expected higher rates that you're, go- you're going to have. And the, the third area is what we call the value premium, the, you know, a value stock versus, a, you know, versus a growth stock. And we can have a whole conversation on the differences here. So growth stocks, everyone now is looking at Apple and Netflix and companies that are high growth versus companies that are they are undervalued based upon their stock price. Well, again, history, long periods of time show that value stocks will outperform growth stocks. That hasn't been the case for the for the near, you know, for the near future. And then profitable companies, companies that have a higher profitability have shown have done better over longer periods of time. So it'd be really easy to kind of say, because I've had some people come to me and say, Larry, let's put all our money in small cap value stocks that are extremely profitable. Because over yeah. long periods of time, that's going to be your higher winner. The problem is the volatility of that, that people won't wait out the longer period of time. And there could be some you know, short periods of time where that sector has under, you know, underperformed. Mm-hmm. So, so that, so, but there are areas that when you're creating a portfolio, you can create a portfolio to take advantage and identify some of these expected rates of return. So, on the fixed income side, there's two categories there: the what we call term, which is the duration, and credit, which is the risk. So, for an example, if you own a 10-year bond, they're going to pay higher than a one-year bond. You know, same thing on CDs. Yep, makes sense. So, 
So you're going to get paid more for having a longer bond. However, in a rising interest rate environment, there's risk of having a long bond because if your bond is paying you 4% and three years later, bonds, you know, you can buy bonds at higher, you're stuck with a lower yielding bond. And the only way to get out of that would be to sell it for a loss. Mm. In a falling interest rate environment, it's just the opposite. So, you know, looking at duration, deciding, okay, what am I comfortable with? Am I comfortable with a long duration? Am I comfortable with a shorter duration? And then how much of an interest rate swing will impact the, 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 the uh, that investment. And then there's credit rate risk. So credit rate risk is a difference between the quality of bonds that you own. For example, if you own a triple A bond, they're going to pay less than if you own a double B bond because there's a potential that double B bond could default. So that issuer has to pay higher rates. So again, creating a portfolio, looking at all these different structures can you know can impact the expected rates of return and you should know kind of what your expected rates of return on versus what the portfolio that you have created and that really takes us into your sixth point which is practicing smart diversification go for it yes another another great conversation to have is you know diversification so you know when you're meeting with new clients or you're having general conversations about investments and how they work and the risk that one investment or one class or just the stock market has amongst you know the risk of stock versus cash versus bonds and looking at risk tolerance questionnaires you come up with a portfolio that you know everyone is comfortable this is what I'll be expecting rates of return and this is the risk that you know that they're comfortable with because if you're only in one class you're gonna have to have you have to accept a higher rate you know a higher amount of risk so even now you know the US market is outperforming the world market so if you don't have a diversified portfolio and you're overweighted into the you know to the US market or only weighted into the US market short term you are outperforming. However, you have more risk in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, clients love to have conversations about diversification to reduce risk. But then when, we, you know, you're going through the performance and the reviews and when the stock market is having good years, they're like, oh, I wish we would have had more money in stocks than we had in bonds. So we have to remind people that, you know, what, cash looked great in 2008. You know, people are already forgetting about 2008 and forgetting about diversification. Why do we have money sitting in cash that's yielding very little? Well, it's there for diversification. It's there because you're going to need it in the near future. And it's there because it doesn't have the risk that the stock market has. So, you know, practicing smart diversification with your portfolio makes for a better investment experience. Absolutely, because you, you have that safety net. At the same time, you're trying to grow, you know, what, what is potentially your entire retirement. So it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, right. Those, those who had all their money in the stock market in 2008, you know, took a beating. And those are probably the ones that sold. If in 2008 you had enough money 
in cash and in bonds to ride out the, to ride out the downturn, mm-hmm. which you know our clients you know did, and they didn't have to sell. The people who got hurt were the ones who sold in 2008. So a, a great kind of experience for diversification that now people are starting to forget a, forget a little bit. Again, since we don't have that psychic ability, we don't know when a 2008 or a 2009 is going to occur, which takes us to point seven. Right. Avoid, avoid market timing. You never know which market segments will outperform from year to year. You know, I always love reading the big financial institutions and their expected returns, but what the S&P is going to be, Barron's does it, well, you know, they get all these people in a room, what do you think the S&P is going to be 12 months from now? They don't know. It's all for, you know, publicity. There's no tools to be able to, you know, to be able to do that. So, you know, trying to market time and trying to decide, okay, this is a good time to get in. This is a good time to to get out. You know, in last November, when Trump was elected president, we had numerous conversations with people. All the market is going to go, is going to take a hit, is going to get crushed. Well, the first 12 months he was in office was one of the best 12 months the stock market has ever had. So nobody knows when that's go- you know going to be. Of course, there's always people that are going to guess it right because there are people out there saying this is what's going to happen to the market. And when it does, they're able to to kind of show you, oh, we predicted that. But for every person that predicted it one way, there's somebody predicting it a, a, a different way. So avoid market timing. What you do want to do, though, is you you do want to rebalance. So if one of your sectors is doing well, so if you came up with a asset allocation between stocks and bonds and cash and, and the stock market has had a, a, a very good run, you want to rebalance and go take some of the profits out of there and go back into some of the other areas that have not done done as well. So avoid market timing, but also rebalance to your to your targets when uh, things are doing well. And like you said, somebody's going to get it right because somebody's going to be getting it getting it wrong. <laughs> it just reminds me, uh, my grandfather used to say, "Even a blind dog finds a bone every once in a while." That's kind of along those same lines, somebody will right. guess it correctly. And then it's easy at that point to say, Oh, look what I did. You know, cause I, right. I got this right. Right. It's like a broken clock is, is always right twice a day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, managing your emotions is number eight. And that is so vitally important. What have you got for us? Yeah. So, you know, so again, you know, the emotion side is is one that that's a big part of our practice and part of why people are hiring us to take the emotions kind of you know kind of out of the the investment side so when the stock market is doing really well and their portfolio is doing well you know they're all elated they want to add more money into it they're all happy and then when the market is down again like i said before they're three out of every 10 years the s p 500 has been down going back 70 years they're nervous, they're fearful, why are we putting more money into this? So you want to kind of do that. That's when you want to add to that cat, you know, add to that category. So, you know, taking the emotions out is an important factor of, you know, kind of what we do. And and that's one of the things, you know, buying individuals, you know, individual stocks is that, you know, people get emotionally attached to an individual stock versus a index fund. 
So when they're attached to an individual stock, when should they sell? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all the way up. I don't want to sell because I don't want to pay taxes and it's doing so well. And then if it goes down, I don't want to sell. I'm just going to wait for it to come back up a little bit more. And then I'm going to go sell. Those are all stories that you know stories that we, that we hear. So you want to try to take that that emotion out of it. You know, we have a computer program, and we once we put in their portfolio based upon their specific goals, investments, and risk tolerance. We'll give you an example. So if, if we have, let's say, a 10% allocation to large cap growth, and that sector is gone, goes up by 20%, so that part of their portfolio has gone from 10% to 12%, we will rebalance back to 10%. We will take that profit off. Are we going to guess it at the exact high? No, but it's all done by the computer side and the numbers side that we come up with to take the emotions out of it. The same thing on the other side. If that fund is down, now it's down to 8% because it's had a 20% underperformance because a sector hasn't done well, not because the fund is bad. That's when we want to add into that sector. So we're doing kind of the opposite, and that goes against human nature. And managing your emotions is something that we constantly do with clients when we, you know, when we, when we meet with them. Something that contributes to that is media. So number nine, you have look beyond the headlines. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this already, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 the Trump factor and the uh, Jim Cramer story. But there's always something out there that moves the market on the short period of time. And, you know, whether it's, uh, the, you know, the tariff deal or whether oil got crushed. So you know, those are all short term type of events. Uh, eventually, it goes back to are are the is the company going to make money based upon what their stock price is? So you know, don't get caught up with these you know look you know these current headlines or don't read the stories about you know oh sell now looming recession retiring rich. One of my favorite sessions to 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 listen to is uh, Weston Wellington, who works for Dimensional Fund Advisors, and he has going back oh all the way back to the 80s magazine covers and stories mm. about which stocks to sell and which stocks to buy and when to get out of the market and he'll kind of show you something at the beginning of the year and then a year later he'll show you what the numbers are and it's exactly the opposite than what happened <laughs> so it is you know it's funny to see and to look at these and to see the actual critique of what you know of what has happened with with, with these so you know, look beyond the headlines and really invest for the long period of time. All right. And that brings us to big number 10, which is kind of what we can do. Yeah. So, you know, my favorite one, focus on what you can control. You can't control the stock market. So what can you control? You can cr- you can control the investment plan that you've created to fit your needs and your goals and your, and your risk tolerance. You can structure a portfolio along the dimensions of the expected returns that I discussed a little bit uh, a little bit earlier. You can diversify your portfolio and diversify globally. You can manage expenses. You know, look for funds that are lower in expenses and ones that are low in turnover because that'll lower your taxes. Stay di- disciplined through market dips and market swings. You know, keep to your strategies. So those are five great items that you can control. You can control the, the market. And of course, you know, work with a financial advisor like us that can offer the expertise and guidance to help you focus on these actions that add values. You know, that will lead to a better overall investment experience. 
Larry, thank you so much for all this insight. Do you have any closing thoughts for us? You know, uh, again, you know, it, it, it's tough. You know, it's tough out there. There's a lot of media and a lot of things out there and a lot of emotions in there. So I hope that these 10 ways that I've discussed will lead to a better investment experience for you. I bet they will. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device, which makes it incredibly easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family who can get an amazing amount of wisdom from what Larry's teaching. So for everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day.